We have another really, really awesome guest today on biocompatibility. That we do. We keep finding them, and uh, I, I hope we can keep this uh, string of luck going here because uh, it's great to have really smart people join us for a discussion regarding biocompatibility, for sure. Yes, indeed. I'm. I I, I really had a, a great time recording this episode, and I know you did too. And so. We hope y'all will too. We're going to talk about what qualifies people to make decisions around biological safety, whether it's writing an assessment, an initial assessment or a tox assessment. And we had a guest here join us, Nicole Susie, who is the Director of Global Preclinical Services of Biocompatibility and Toxicology at Boston Scientific. Nicole's a friend of ours. We've known for several years and, and worked together. So, She's a PhD in pharmacology and toxicology from Dartmouth. She's worked in the medical device industry since 2006, following her postdoc um, at the Chemical Industry Institute of Toxicology. She's worked at a couple of the, the big, big manufacturers out there, directing teams uh, in toxicology and biocompatibility, has just a wealth of knowledge. And, and Don, we're lucky that she's a friend of ours and, and was happy to join us for this episode. Exactly. Yeah. And it's always great to get somebody with all those qualifications that's that smart that can just sit down and talk to you about, you know, basic biocompatibility topics all the way down to something like this of, of just selecting the right person, the right qualifications, the right experience to to do your bio biocompatibility evaluation. So, yeah, it was, it's a great talk. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the coolest people that we know are biocompatibility experts and and uh, we're happy that that they join us and and have fun with this little format with us and and we get to keep putting out this good content. So we hope you all enjoy this episode with Nicole Susie from Boston Scientific. Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focus on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring Biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Biocompatibility. We are pleased to have another friend, colleague, guest joining us today. Don, we're getting really lucky with our guests. We are. We keep finding people and they keep saying yes. So we take them up on it. And, uh, and, and, and so far it's working out, but uh, out great. I think for us anyway, I don't know how much they're enjoying it, but we're enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. Gives us another person to talk to besides ourselves, which is, is always good. Exactly. So today joining us, as we mentioned in the intro is Nicole Susie. She is um, from Boston Scientific. Nicole, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, we're thrilled. We're thrilled. We love when really smart people join us because, well, for me anyway, I can just sit back and let the smart people talk and, and be entertained. <laughs> I don't know if I'm a smart person, but I'm happy to be here. <laughs> you are. So Nicole's the uh, Global Preclinical Sciences Biocompatibility and Toxicology Director at Boston Scientific, and she is is joining us today. And we have an interesting topic, we think, and it may be it's the search for a unicorn, the people that are qualified or who is qualified 
to perform assessments and, and strategies, develop strategies for biocompatibility and biological safety. So Don, you and I were talking about this and we get asked this question a lot. So we thought, let's, yeah. let's talk about it here. Yeah, I mean, we were mentioning as we were getting ready for this episode, just, you know, the number of times, and I'd like to say it comes up every time that we do our public training courses, somebody in the audience asks, you know, what are the qualifications that a person needs to have in order to, you know, evaluate the biocompatibility of a device? And, you know, we like to chime in and say, well, you know, the course that we provide gives you some basis for some of that. I'm not saying it's everything, but, but yeah, we get questioned about it all the time. And so we thought, why not discuss it in an open forum like this so that it's not just our opinion, but we can get Nicole's opinion on the topic as well, because I'm sure that she's uh, confronted with filling that position, that, that needed position in a company of, you know, somebody that has the right knowledge, the right qualifications to do this sort of thing. Absolutely. You know, Sherry, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the unicorn. I mean, anytime you have a position open for this role, um, you, you kind of are looking for that needle in a haystack to find someone who's appropriately qualified and has a good, strong background that can just jump in and do the work. And, you know, we're all competing with each other for that one person. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, you know, I think, well, I want to, I want to just stop for a minute. And, and so Don, maybe guide us through where, is there any place in the documents, um, I think mainly in part one, that, that tells us who can make these decisions? Or does it, does it ask us to make sure we have somebody that's qualified to make these decisions and design these strategies? Yeah, and and, that, and that's quite honestly when it when it usually comes up in our our training courses, it's because I'm talking about part one, um, ISO 10093 part one, and I mean the two main things that come to mind in that standard are, are sections 4.1 and section seven, and they they don't give you a whole lot to go on, but they do say they kind of put the idea out there um, in 4.1, the biological evaluation shall be planned, carried out, and documented. By knowledgeable and experienced professionals. Okay, good to know. And then in clause seven, expert assessors who have the necessary knowledge and experience shall determine and document, you know, the, the seven or so things that they list out, you know, from strategy to adequacy of material characterization, rationale for selection or waiving of tests, so on and so forth. So, you know, part one puts that concept out there. And I think that's the main thing that drives people to wonder, okay, who is qualified to do this? I just came across another document today. And this, again, it's a publicly available document. It's not a standard or anything like that, but it's, um, it's a document from BSI. And it's MDR Documentation Submissions Best Practices Guideline that BSI put out. And, you know, like I usually do with most, most documents like this, I just scroll to the section that says biocompatibility and see what I find. And in terms of biological safety, they do say that what, one of the things they recommend, again, it's not a standard, it's their kind of guidance from an MDR perspective. They want a justification 
or they state a justification should be provided regarding the qualifications of those involved in planning, executing, and analyzing the biocompatibility assessment. Again, they're not saying what the qualifications have to be for that person. They're asking you for a justification. So, you know, we get great guidance like this telling us exactly who should be doing these sort of things. <laughs> um, Consider that guidance. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> it puts. I think it puts forth the requirement so that, you know. Yeah, it lists a requirement. It doesn't tell you how to fulfill it, basically. Yeah, and then for and in part one, it goes on to say, I forgot one section. It says risk management should identify aspects of biological evaluation requiring specific technical competencies and shall identify the persons responsible for the biological evaluation. So I think it's easier to identify the person. I mean, that's pretty straightforward, but why they're, um, you know, the right person to do the task is that justification piece, I think. So, and, and a lot, you know, professionals, experienced professionals, I mean, it, part one does use the concept of experience a couple of times as well, but yeah, I guess, they, go ahead, Nicole. Yeah, they say professionals appropriately qualified by training and experience, right? I mean, it, in the scoping, section of part one. But again, what does that mean? Right, right. Yeah, Nicole, when you look at the the words like technical competencies and experience and, you know, I don't know, can you share like some of the things that you, how, how you might interpret that? And then, and I know a lot of what we do at NAMSA, we're, we're maybe, I don't know if we're more fortunate, we're, we're a little bit fortunate in that sometimes we can grow these people up within our organization that have been doing the testing and have been working on the, you know, in the laboratory and, and then teach them and give them a, a kind of a career plan as to how to get to the point where maybe you can do like what Dawn's doing and eventually maybe even get a DAVT. We've had people successfully do that within NAMSA. So how does that work maybe from a manufacturer's point of view when you guys are are trying to work these people in or or grow these people up yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think that's a really great term for it, grow people um, in the role, right? Because you are not going to go out and find somebody who has a bachelor's, a master's, or even a PhD in medical device biocompatibility, right? Those programs don't exist. So what we look for are people who have a degree and background in biology or chemistry. If we can find somebody with a toxicology background, great. And then we bring them in and, and train them. And I think much of what we do is, um, you know, learned on the job. It, it, there definitely is an on-the-job training component to growing and developing this skill set. Yeah, it, point. Yeah, the on-the-job training. What would what would you guess if you had to, Nicole, for on-the-job training? How long do you think it takes for on-the-job training for biocompatibility? If somebody comes into an organization mm -hmm. and doesn't know devices, and, and you have to approach it in that way. Yeah, you know, in terms of bringing someone in and having them assess independently on their own. Oh my goodness, you know, I was. I have been involved with hiring people in to assess 
MDR updates, right? I mean, that's a big area in our space. And finding somebody with a chemistry or biology background, training them in the use of the standards, training them in toxicology principles of understanding adaptive versus adverse effects, training them in some basic risk assessment, that can take, you know, 90 days just to get them trained before they're even, you know, putting out their first effort of an update. Um, and even then, they're not updating those documents by themselves. They, they're heavily supervised. It, it can take a fair amount of time before you have somebody on their own coming in fresh with no experience. Yeah, and that's, you know, I just thinking back to uh, one of our toxicologists that now works in our um, our biological safety team at NAMSA. And I think back, you know, to, you know, I basically, I it kind of started, I started mentoring him at, at some point in his, uh, when he was in the lab at NAMSA. And, and he basically, I said, do you understand what you want to do? And he said, yeah, you know, I want to eventually get to the point to where I can, you know, work in the consulting group and help evaluate biological safety, you know, do those types of things. And, and he said, can you tell me what I need to do? And I was like, well, you know, here's, it depends on how fast you want to get there. But literally that, I mean, he took, he took years to get there because he had a really kind of defined plan that he wanted to be experienced in chemistry. So we worked in the chemistry lab. He wanted to be experienced with biocompatibility studies, what they were, how they get performed and executed. So he, he was a GLP study director for a while. And then, you know, after that, he studied to be a uh, to take the board certification exam, and that's what he did. Now, granted, he's rocket science smart, and he could, <laughs> he, he could get all that done. But you know, to have the patience and the time to to wait for something like that to happen is is not always you know a situation that we can be in. But I, I think that does speak to like what Sherry was talking about, kind of when you're able to kind of organically growing these people within your own organization so that they have, you know, I guess a background of experience and they can make informed decisions. But yeah, sometimes obviously it's got to happen a lot faster than that uh, as well. Right. And, you know, in my organization, you know, we have ongoing training. We have one of the most powerful venues that we have is a case study series where each um, member of the team is expected to present on, you know, a completed project and talk about, you know, what went right, what went wrong, what are their lessons learned. And there's far more learning in the, the projects that didn't, you know, get from A to B in the straight line yeah. than there are. <laughs> and, and that case study series is such a powerful way to share the knowledge and experience you know, organically inside the organization. And you have to do this work and you have to, you know, get projects over the line to really understand the nuance and uh, be able to make really well-informed decisions on your next project down the line. And so I, I would say the fellow that you're talking about, you know, was, was really smart in charting his path so that he could be a really good and effective consultant for his clients. And I think that does in, I mean, I, I love the idea of that, that you just described of, of sharing that knowledge and how things went, you know, right and wrong along the way, because it really speaks to that, you know, that practical experience of, 
you know, how to execute these these projects. And and again, you, you know, you can have, you know, a great board certified toxicologist that has no idea how to handle medical devices and kind of, you know, initially anyways, might be at a loss as to what in the world we're doing in this in this medical device area in terms of how we're doing our evaluations and the expectations. But, you know, once you get that that experience and you go through it, I mean, those types of people you would hope would would pick up on it fairly fast. And and then it's just a matter of learning by, you know, experiencing this type of device versus that type of device and and, and moving on from there. So I, I think, you know, to the point of that BSI document that was that I was talking about, that justification. I mean, it to me, it's a it could be a little hard to put that justification down on paper to encompass all the stuff that we're talking about, right? How do you put that into a nice two-page summary? I, you know, that says this is this is why I'm justified, uh, or this is my justification why I'm qualified. Mm -hmm. So I want yep. to ask you guys. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Nicole. Oh no, I was I was just going to agree. So ask away. So I want to ask you. So, you know, we kind of look at the biological safety evaluation, at least the part that our toxicology team does, is is two phases, right? So there might be phase one where we look at everything we know and we do some research and we look at materials and and then we design a plan, we design a strategy. Okay, we, we think we have these gaps. Let's go do this analysis. Let's go do this, you know, in vivo work. Let's go do, you know, here and there. And then there's the the phase two, which is maybe we did analytical chemistry and we have all that biocomp data. Now somebody needs to, I call them the magic translators, right? Translate that chemistry data to make it viable to, you know, biological safety. So are we looking at two different levels of expertise or is it something we start somebody on kind of the first end and then you don't really get to do the the magical translation until you're you know, more of a senior type person. Do you follow kind of that? That, and I may be just making this up in my head that that's the way <laughs> things are happening. <laughs> I think some people do that that way, and it, it, it makes sense to me logically. So, what do you? What are your thoughts on that, Nicole? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, you know I've I've been in this role in two different companies, and both companies have done it very differently. So. Mm -hmm. In my prior role, we had toxicologists who were performing this work and really performing it from end to end. You know, we might hire in junior level folks who we are training up and they would help with portions of it, probably that front end that you're talking about. But the, the general theory was that you had really well-rounded people who understood biocompatibility, chemistry, and toxicological risk assessment, and they were performing the evaluation from end to end. At Boston Scientific, historically, it's been very different. There have been biocompatibility specialists who do the biological testing, and then there are toxicologists who are doing the toxicological risk assessment. I'll be honest in that I, I prefer a more well-rounded approach, and that's you know what I'm trying to build within my organization. I think that to be really uh, well-qualified and really capable and really effective in servicing the organization, I want my team to be able to, to do this process end-to-end. -end. Now, obviously, you can't bring somebody straight out of college to do that, right? They have to be trained. They have to be mentored. 
but my end goal is to get everybody to that level as they become more senior within the organization. Yeah, I, think, I just think it makes you an, a more effective consultant to the business that we that we serve. Oh, I, I would think so. Yeah, we do that to some extent. I think yeah. the other part yeah. of it that I think what happens is if you worked on the front end and you don't work on the back end, then you lose that continuity. And then you have if you're the if you and I'm front end back end, I've changed my terms here. If you're the back end <laughs> person, then you you have to educate yourself on everything about the product because you didn't do the front end. So I would think that could mm -hmm. cause time challenges and I mean, just catching yourself up on everything. And, and I think, you know, having a couple people involved, I think is, is, is fine. Kind of the approach that, that NAMSA has taken over the years, but there are certain situ are there's still situations where the toxicologist kind of to Nicole's point takes it from beginning to end as well. And I think it's useful to have support staff maybe to help, you know, with doing some research, looking up information, putting together verbiage around maybe materials. Look, you know, the toxicologist is looking at what they're up against and okay, we got these 15 chemicals, these five materials. I need you to go research all these things, bring back what you find, you know, document how you did that um, research so I can kind of vet what you find. But I will say, especially when it comes to the you know, the chemical analysis, whether it be the front end of chemical analysis, just looking at the materials that go in, the chemicals used, or actually extractables data, you know, and talking to, to, to some of our toxicologists, just the, the value that you get when you look at each and every chemical fresh by yourself and actually look up the information for those chemicals, especially if it's things that are maybe unique to the situation, you know, you in some cases tend to tell you that, you know, they are, they, they feel more confident in their assessment because they had that primary investigation into the chemical themselves. So it allows them to like to kind of mold it into the overall context of the assessment better. Now, every case might not be that way. Obviously there's complex devices, there's simple ones, but I could see that being true. And I think that's for the most part, when NAMSA first started doing a lot of these assessments, it was kind of the, like Nicole, like what you're describing, you know, that the, the person that responsible for the assessment takes it from beginning to end. But I mean, there's countless different ways that it could be, um, that it could be uh, split up for sure. Yeah, and I'll say that a really critical partner in all of this is your analytical chemist, right? I mean, they need to be integrated into your team. You need to have strong chemistry support all the way through your project. And, you know, we're really fortunate that we have some great analytical chemists in our organization um, and they are integral partners. You know, I know enough analytical chemistry to be dangerous as a toxicologist. <laughs> I really want my analytical chemist to steer me in the right direction so that I don't, um, you know, go down the wrong path. That's a great, that's a great point too. And, and we uh, love that team approach. So, we do a lot of that team approach when it comes to the assessments where we have a toxicologist and a chemist and a study director, um, especially on, you know, super complex types of materials or products. And that's, mm -hmm. a, that's an advantage that organizations like ours and yours have that is certainly, I think it's, you know, 
it's priceless in the fact that you can bring these teams together that are all working, you know, under the same roof, so to speak, although none of us are under the same roof right now. Um, <laughs> Not a single one of us. <laughs> roofs right now, but, but, you know, it is to be, to be part of that team, I think is, is really valuable. And I've, I've been able to observe that from, you know, as a layman to our, our team members, how they work together and, and talk through those things. So that's a great point, Nicole, that, you know, independent consultants don't necessarily have, and they might be able to work closely with a laboratory, but having a, a tight, tight knit team is really valuable. And if, if you think about like, if you get into like the, uh, you know, really small medical device companies, which there are plenty of them out there, you know, I've, I've I've met with companies that are literally five people, but they have clear devices on the market in the United States. And you just think about the requirements that we're talking about in terms of the qualifications of individuals. You know, I mean, in a lot of those situations, unless they're really got somebody unique within their really small team, you know, that I got to think they're going to have to reach out at some point to to to, to get some assistance. Again. I think if you're doing things the way that ISO 10993 Part One is is describing, and and you're you're taking into account you know this level of uh, of knowledge, experience, so on and so forth, seriously. Otherwise, yeah, I mean anybody can test to the table in the back of the standard, but I think it's gone beyond that now, and I think it's recognizing that so that you you know, get the right people involved, get the right things, the, the, the right skill set where you need it and put it forth. And, and I mean, that'll even, you know, when I do what I do every, every, every week, I mean, I'm constantly picking up the phone and calling our toxicologist because what I know and I know what I don't know. And that's probably like one of the things that has to be stressed so much is that, you know, experience that you need, the knowledge that you need can vary depending on what you're doing. So if I get into a situation where I have, you know, five, 10, 15 chemicals, and somebody's asking me, you know, the risk associated with exposure to those things, you know, that's where I'm gonna reach out to my toxicologist and get their opinion on something like that, for sure. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think about what you just said there, Don, about anybody can test to the table in the standard. I do think that some of the challenges that, you know, within the medical device industry as a whole, engineers, I think, believe that biocompatibility is as simple as going and testing to the table. And I think, I think there's an area of education in the engineering community about really how complicated biocompatibility can be. I don't think there's a good understanding of that in the engineering community broadly. So it's funny because I, I we share about this in the training and I, and I stand up there and say, you know, we're we're the ones that did this. We're guilty of this. We're the laboratories that that told you here, here's the table, open it up. These are the tests you have to do and off we go. We we oversimplified it for way too many years. Now we've been talking about the opposite of trying to unsimplify it for gosh, yeah. how long have we been doing this? 15 years probably. And you know, we've been trying to undo that damage for 15 years. So maybe someday we'll we'll get there. But I agree with you. It it was oversimplified. I mean, Don and I joke 
often that it's just biocompatibility, bio you know, even a monkey can do it. And it's so not true. There is that perception, I think, from some people. Yeah, I, it, absolutely. We we battle that perception quite a bit. And, and you know, it's, it's just a matter of educating and, and sharing that knowledge. But but we have we have that responsibility as biocompatibility experts to spread that message because it's a misconception that can really, you know, have negative consequences to patient safety. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the next thing I, I, I want to bring up and, and, you know, it could be a little sensitive, but we're going to, we're going to talk through this is we're talking about how our people have to be qualified, right? We want to have people qualified writing these and we often experience people reviewing these not being as qualified as, as the writer, right? And so I know that that's a challenge. I've had people come up to me in training and go, all this sounds great, characterization and writing the assessment, but I write it and my regulatory body doesn't review it. Like they don't even read it or they don't understand it. They just want me to do the testing. And so mm-hmm. I think that is the other side of that coin that we've almost maybe developed is we have to somehow get everybody up to speed on what these assessments mean and, and what these plans mean and get get attention brought to them by the regulators. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a touchy subject, right? <laughs> but I think we see, and this is a, you know, for a global medical device manufacturer, this is a challenge globally. We see such different levels of scrutiny of our, of our assessments that it can be really challenging to, in a polite way, educate your reviewer while you are trying to get your product approved. So what do you say to that person that might be even within your organization, that engineer, you know, that says, can't we just do cytosensitization irritation and da 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 and just call it good? Do I really have to do all this other stuff? I mean, I heard it doesn't matter. Like, how do you address that question? Or do you get it? Do you have... Are you guys so evolved that you don't get those questions? Yeah, you know, it's it's really it's really quite challenging because you do see different regulatory expectations around the world. And so you have people who will say, well, why can't we just go test everything? And you have to push back and point to the standard and say, really, you know, our our chemical analysis, our toxicological risk assessment, this this is the intent of the standard. This is how we are supposed to be assessing our products and, and just going and blindly performing all the tests is, is really counterproductive to what the, the intent of the standard is and could get you in trouble in areas where they really want, in regions where yeah. they really want you to follow the standard. So you're kind of in a, you know, you know, a, there's almost a conflict, you know, with global acceptance of the standard and how you appropriately develop a device for every region of the world. So yeah, that's yeah, that's a huge ordeal. Huge ordeal. <laughs> so Don, you have any anything to add on that, or do you guys have any other? I think I've kind of gone through all the questions that that I wanted to to bring up today. No, I, I think I think we've hit on a lot of the definitely expanded on it 
a lot more than I do when somebody asked the question in our training course, which I think was our our objective here today, and and also to get somebody else's opinion because um, Tell them, just go listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's you know whether it be you know companies that are responsible for this mission or whether it be the person that's responsible for reviewing this mission, it, it's it's a matter of just getting the the right amount of knowledge in both both their hands so that this whole process can be as effective as what it, it needs to be. It, it can be frustrating when things get bogged down because somebody that didn't have the right amount of experience put together a terrible plan for addressing biocomp and gave it to a regulator and expected them to say it's okay. And and likewise it's it's kind of frustrating when a regulator gets it and and it's well put together and then challenges like things that just aren't sensical as well. So trying to, to to get both sides so that they have the right knowledge and experience from both sides of, of, of the coin so that we can essentially have effective submissions. I think that's what everybody is after. Mm-hmm. So that this you know we can get safe devices on the market to do what we need them to do. Right. That's our goal. Yeah, that's, that is absolutely the goal, 100%. Awesome. Well, now it's time. We need some, you know what we need? We need two truths and a lie theme music that I could play right here. It's just like we need some sort of a transition, don't we? John, that sounds, and, like a, sounds like a stretch, Yuri. That sounds like a stretch. There's a I don't jingle on truths and a lie. Um, this kind of is like my, I think when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be on the radio. And so this, this just satisfies that. And I feel like I need a button to push that'll play a jingle for us here. So this is the closest I'm ever going to get to being on the radio. (laughs) So, okay. Two truths and a lie. This is a game we play with all of our guests where we are going to share two truths and a lie about working in around biocompatibility in our careers and then the other folks here get to guess which one is the lie so who wants to go first i i think i i've, I've been you know the historical guinea pig to go first so I, I'll, I'll just keep going first that's fine with me all right Don. <laughs> so, so i have to do a quick i actually have four today four things that i can and i'm i'm debating here right now things. which one i'm going to delete so, yeah, okay. All right. And some of mine are long, like they usually are. But anyways. So first one, I was questioned by a regulator on the qualifications that I thought were important for a person to have to assess the biocompatibility of a device and found out that the regulator who performed that test didn't meet those requirements at all. So that's, that's the first one. I've worked with people who are in charge of biocompatibility evaluations for a medical device with zero experience in the area of biocompatibility. Okay. And the, uh, the, the last one, I'll just, I had a consultant submit a 40 page CV as evidence of his or her qualifications. <laughs> I think I know. Uh, well, I certainly know number two is true. <laughs> it happens all the time. Uh, Nicole, what do you think? I, I kind of think that three might be the lie. I kind of think that one might be true. Nicole is correct. 
I, I, I've seen some pretty obnoxious CVs as evidence of qualifications. I don't know if I've ever seen a 40 pager or not, but yeah, the, I got cut, caught in a bad situation there. I, somebody asked me for my opinion. I gave it to them and found out that they didn't meet the requirements I just put forth. So, oh. <laughs> Did your face oh, turn red there, Don? My face always turns red in situations like that. So I have to think. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's a good one. I think uh, I had a beer in my hand at the next? time too. So. Would you like me to go next, Sherry? Sure, that'd be great. All right, so number one, I've hired biologists, chemists, toxicologists, and engineers to perform medical device biocompatibility evaluations. Number two, board certification in toxicology is a preferred qualification when I make a hiring decision. And number three, verification of assessor qualification is routinely requested during an audit. Ooh. I got a guess, but. I got a guess too. I think I'm going to guess number two is your lie. That's what I was going to go with too. Really? So. So I have it listed when when I have a job posting, I do have it listed as a preferred qualification. No. It's not a required qualification, ah. but I would prefer if people are, are board certified and I encourage my um, employees to become board certified um, if they're not. So it's so preferred, not, but not required. I'm changing my answer to number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you're right. Um, number one is the lie. <laughs> I've hired biologists, I've hired chemists, I've hired toxicologists. I, I have not ever hired an engineer. That's not to say I would discriminate against an engineer, um, but I'm, I'm really looking for that multidisciplinary chemistry and biology background to perform a biocompatibility evaluation. You know, I can train somebody to be a toxicologist, but I, I like that multidisciplinary chemistry biology interface, and that's my preferred candidate. That's your unicorn. There you That's go. That's my unicorn. <laughs> With yeah. a as well. That's, and that, you know, I think that that's exactly the unicorn we're all looking for, too. <laughs> After this podcast episode goes out, we may get hate mail from engineers. I'm not sure, though, but uh, we may. I, I'm not sure. You know what? My boss is an engineer, um, and, I, and I love engineers. I work with some great ones. Yeah, well, well, maybe our next episode should be We Heart Engineers and get some engineers there you on. Go. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, mine are very boring and lame, and that's because I wrote them like in two minutes. So, and I'm I'm running out of material. Honestly, I've got to do something. So, number one, I once informed one of our training classes that coming to our course does not mean that they are qualified to perform tox risk assessments. Number two, um, I've conducted biocomp training in Sydney, Australia to over 100 attendees, our biggest class ever. And number three, I once had an attendee ask me to write them a letter stating that they were an expert assessor. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's three's so true. funny, it's gotta be a lie, right? I don't know. <laughs> no, that's true. It's true. Uh. Is it true, Sherry? It is not. <laughs> but it's, oh, that's your lie. That is that is my lie. But you know what? Oh. Um, 
that is my line, but I could definitely see that happening as well because we, you know, we provide a certificate and and then I've said, look, I've had people say, well, what does this mean? You know, and that's when I've had to say, this does not mean that we're saying you're a toxicologist because I think, you know, and we've had people say, can we, could you do a follow-up course on toxicology? And like, we do not teach you how to be a toxicologist. That is not what we do here. So, um, yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> well, you know, so um, that just rings like something so outrageous. It could be true. I can't. I'm actually surprised <laughs> it hasn't happened. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Often truth is crazier than fiction, right? So That's right. Um, yeah. That game. So, well, thank you. Thank you both so much. Um, this has been a great episode. I've enjoyed myself. I hope you all have too. And uh, we will catch you the next time. All right. Thank you much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy Biocom Chatability, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast. <laughs>